we're just going to enjoy ourselves and we won't be contaminated by the world. So these guys, what ended up happening, <laughs> the, the, the Essene culture uh, blew up. They're, they aren't around anymore because they, not only couldn't they get, around, get along with the people out in the world, they found that they couldn't get along with each other in the cave. And that's kind of like us. You know, we, we have these associations with the world and we're not going to get along with them. We can't get along with each other. We just this. Uh, we have this nature, uh, this this rastabidious nature. Now that's not a real word. That's that's a John word. But it, it's it's just that this disagreeable nature apart from Christ, and we can't get along with anybody. A thousand, to thousands of people, Christianity meant taking some kind of vow and leaving the world to live in solitude in a monastery. Now, a story is told about a guy who wanted to join the monks, so he went to monk school. And uh, he joined this monastery and he took a, an oath of silence. Now, within this oath of silence, every year you could say two words. Only two words, the rest of the time you couldn't say a thing. So he was in it for a year and went up to the head monk and said bed hard turned around and left went around doing his monk stuff and the second year rolls by and he comes up to the head monk and he says soup cold turns around and leaves the third year comes and this junior monk now three years into the monkdom comes up to the guy and says I quit and the head monk says, well, I, I can understand that. All you've done is complain since you've been here. You know, that's kind of like us in trying to, to determine how we fit into this thing that called the, the, the world. And, and Jesus said, I'm not asking you, in John 17, 15 through 16, he says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. See, the monk couldn't isolate himself in the monastery and, and get along. We can't isolate ourselves and get along. But at the same time, we can't come outside of the world because this is where God has placed us. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. That means that we aren't to be isolated, but we're to be insulated from it. This doesn't mean that we're to refuse having friendships with unbelievers. Others, others have taken this verse to mean that a Christian shouldn't have any kind of relationship at all with an unbeliever. Well, how in the blue blazes can you be salt and light if you don't have acquaintances and associations with the unsaved? Some Christian groups, they, they get into their own little holy huddle and they consider that everything and everyone that in, the, in the world is evil. And there is. There's plenty of evil in the world today. And any kind of contact is to be avoided at all costs. And, and, and Jesus taught that we should have relationships with unbelievers. How else are we going to share our faith? How else are we going to make a difference in their life? How else are, we going to, are they going to be able to see the, the love of Jesus Christ as, as, we, as we display it in our own lives and it shines through us. How? If we're not with them. Jesus 
was, was very clear about that. We, see, we're not call, I, I'm, I'm not called to be a monk. You're not called to be a monk. You're called to be missionaries. You're called to be sent out to proclaim the wonderful gospel of grace. That's what we're about today. During Jesus' three-year ministry, it's clear who he hang out with. Jesus didn't hang out with the pretty people. Jesus didn't hang out with the, 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 uh, the guys that ran the temple. Uh, Jesus hung out with sinners. Now, they weren't part of his inner circle. Now, you say, well, there's a couple of rascals that were in there. Yeah, there, there were, but, but I'm talking about the complete, total, depraved unbeliever. And, and Jesus didn't make them a part of his team. He never compromised his message. He also went to them. Jesus always went, went to the sinner. You remember Zacchaeus, the, the, the little guy in the tree, and he said, today I'm going to eat with you. And go prepare, go prepare your house because I'm, I'm coming to spend some time with you, Zach. And, and he went to the sinners. His methods were adjusted to meet the people where they were. That's what we need to do. You know, the, the, the way that I will speak to people, and we talked a little bit about this in the Bible class this morning, that, that uh, we're not all wired the same way. We have a way of, of relating to people that your way is different than my way, and my way certainly can be different from your way. But it's still that we, in the big picture, are relating to the unbelievers. How are we doing that is between you and God. How, you know, you're not to change your personality. We had a, we had a, a thing that uh, it was called, years ago, it was called Evangelism Explosion. Anybody ever hear of that? Evangelism Explosion? And they, they made cookie-cutter evangelists out of you. It didn't work. It did, well, it didn't work for us because we weren't going to be knocking on doors, taking a survey, which was a setup to talk to people about the Lord. It was unnatural, and, and, and it, uh, it, it was very uncomfortable. So we need to adjust our, our, our methods to meet our personalities. Jesus prayed, he says uh, in John 17, 18, just as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. He was responding to criticism from some of the religious leaders of the day. Over in Luke 7, 33-35, for John the Baptist didn't spend his time eating bread or drinking wine, and you say... He's possessed by a demon. The son of man, on the other hand, feasts and drinks, and you say he's a glutton and a drunkard, and he's a friend of the tax collectors and other sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by the lives of those who follow it. So Jesus came into the world to win it, and the only business that you and I are to have is to seek to win the lost. That's what we should be doing. I, I would encourage you to make friends with people who don't know the Lord. You know, on the job, in your neighborhood, in a school setting. Build bridges of friendship with them. Then walk across that bridge and deliver the best news they'll ever hear. Just remember this important distinction. You can have friendship with an unbeliever, but you can't have fellowship. You can have friendship, but you can't have fellowship. I, I hear Christians say their first priority in life is their family. I love that. 
And yet they have an unsaved family member who is at best tolerated, at worst is neglected or, or uh, uh, ignored. Now my own mother, my biological mother, was probably one of the most disagreeable people you'd ever want to meet. Sadie was not a nice lady. And, and uh, uh, yet you won't hear my wife say anything bad about her. You won't hear my kids say anything bad about her. Uh, my girls, though, didn't really enjoy her company because every time she, they came over, she'd put them to work. <laughs> and and uh, the kids were a bother to her. And yet we prayed every night for salvation and we went out of our way to reach out to her. And, and the prayers of a child, my friends, I'm not saying that, that their prayers are any any different than than other people's prayers but the prayers of a child are innocent and they're very special and and commit to teaching your children how to pray help them learn how to pray scripture over one another help them to learn to pray in in their words not not the don't you don't have to teach them how to pray in King James ease but teach them how to talk with God Fellowship happens between two saved people. So your goal for every friendship with an unbeliever is to help them get to a place where you can have fellowship with them as a brother and sister in Christ. So to be yoked means to be tied to someone in a close, intimate relationship, not just a casual relationship. Now, you two girls, are you friends? You're friends, you know each other, okay. So you have, a, you have a, a, a friend relationship. It's not like, and, and so, so you could be having this, this relationship in such a way that you, you get along together, you share things with one another. It's not like two people that don't know each other. They, 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 the yoke is, is dissimilar. To be yoked with someone means you're partners with someone over an extended period of time and you share priorities, goals, dreams, and values. If you're an unsaved person, your goals and dreams and values are going to be significantly different than someone who is saved. Two kinds of partnerships that I think this applies to is in marriage and business. You have a marriage where there's two dissimilar uh, people, one saved, one unsaved, and it can be, it can be difficult. You get into business with someone who's an unbeliever and you're a believer and it can be disastrous. There's an obvious reason why God warns us away from these kinds of mismatched relationships and the Bible is full uh, of warnings about this. For instance, in 1 Corinthians 15.33, Paul says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things for bad company corrupts good character. Helen has quoted every time we get together, she'll bring that that message up no matter what we're talking about we could be we could be talking about recycling and she bad company corrupts good behavior uh, Paul warned the Corinthians that they should not be deceived about the danger of bad company and, and when you look at this this verse early on it was it was kind of talking a little bit it was bringing worship into it but but he said the 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 there is a 
there is a danger of having bad company. The word uh, company means an association of people, but it also has the connotation of a lecture or a sermon. It seems that the Corinthians were both listening to some wrong teaching and, and likewise associating with evil people. So whether the teaching was in a formal, formal messages or not, it was bad and it was corrupting their theology. People who think wrongly invariably behave wrongly. You think wrong thoughts, you're going to have wrong behavior. Wrong behavior comes from wrong thinking, from wrong beliefs, and you have a wrong standard. You're, 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 you, you have that, that Captain Jack Sparrow compass, moral compass in life. The thing just spins. It doesn't work. It's impossible to associate regularly with wicked people without being contaminated both by their ideas and by their habits. There's, there's, there's no... The, the, the context implies that the bad company was teaching some, some heretical theology uh, that, that the, there was no resurrection. And that bad theology had corrupted good morals and it was creating a problem within the Corinthian church. Now the Bible also makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that if you are currently married to an unbeliever you don't have permission to leave them for this reason. You're married to them, you stay with them. But the passage implies to the single people who may be looking for a mate. Now I, I'm looking at, at some single people and you may not be of the marriage age right now. But you still have your eye on the guys, don't you? Don't you? Don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I can see it. And, and, and so, while you're... <laughs> no, you wanted to hear this one. <laughs> the, Jeremy's got his hands covered in his baby girl's ears. This passage is talking, if you're a Christian, you should seek to be married to another believer. And some of you are thinking, well, okay, what does the Bible say about dating non-Christians? Okay, give me chapter and verse where it says, thou shalt not date a unbeliever. Where is it? You can't find it. It's not there. This wasn't an issue back when the Bible was written because they believed in courtship. I think it's old-fashioned, but I think it needs to be brought back. Dating is part of our Western culture, and in Bible times, as it is still the case of many Eastern cultures today, marriages were arranged by the parents. Yeah, so you don't get a choice to pick your husband. Mom and dad do. I think that's a good idea, by the way. My oldest daughter... And if she would, was here, she would nod her head, turn red, and say, Oh, Dad, why are you telling that story again? But I didn't arrange their wedding, but I certainly engineered it. And, and it was, it was a, a good feat of engineering. So we're putting good men in the lives of our daughters. And so, Dad, be very vested in the relationships you ha your daughter has with, with these guys. 
And I, I wouldn't be beyond pulling the gun out and putting it on the table when they come by to say hello. I'll, I'll, guys, I'll give you some tips from, from, uh, from an old dad that tried it and uh, how I got the guys that I got. But I would encourage you, young ladies and, and young men, date when you get to that place in life. Seek out young people who are of like faith. They understand who Christ is. They understand who, who, what Jesus did for them. Because this might be a potential mate. Well, now, at this point, you may be saying, Pastor, you're an old fuddy-duddy. Yeah, I, I am. I, guilty as charged. But I'm dating, and, and you can say, I'm, I'm, I'm dating a non-Christian because I want to lead them to the Lord. Yeah, okay, yeah. How, how's, how does that work? It doesn't. In 44 years of ministry, I have yet to see this be effective in, in uh, finding a man or a woman and uh, getting them to uh, come to faith. I love my wife dearly. I would give my life for that woman. But she should have no more been hanging out with me than the man in the moon. I've told her mother that. And her mother tells me, shut up, Johnny. But she never told me about Jesus. And she never, she never told me about the, the plan of salvation. She never shared the gospel of grace with me. Never, ever, ever did you do that. And, and uh, rather than build me up, I tore her down. Missionary dating doesn't work. And when you throw in the hormones and the romance and a bunch of this other stuff, what usually happens is the Christian gets pulled down to the level, level of the unbeliever. Okay, I, I've got a, a demonstration. So Hayden and Jeremy, would you come forward please? Did you clue mom in on this? Oh, this is good. This is good. Um, be ready with some towels for wiping up the blood. Uh, okay. Now, <laughs> Hayden is, look, okay, just cooperate. She, she's the unbeliever. Yeah, you, you are. You're, you're, you're sin sick and yucky. Okay, but we love you. And, and Jeremy is the sweet, innocent little boy. He's a mama's boy, and he loves Jesus. And, and they're... This is by illustration, so don't get weird on me. They are, they are in a, a relationship together. I didn't think this part through. But that's okay. Okay, so... So... She is... Rather than than rather than than Jeremy bringing her up to his level, see what happens. Okay, bend over, bend over, over more. Okay, okay, yay, good job. So, so what happened was that the unbeliever drug the believer down, and that's usually what happens. It, it doesn't work the other way. So 
And, and in that, the things that you've learned in Sunday school, the things that, that have been drilled into you at home about how our light is, is, is in us, the light of Jesus Christ, and that light should shine uh, forth to, for the, all the world to see, where we as, as believers are, the, are, the, are the, uh, the, the light of the world. And we can't be hiding that. And yet when we're, when we're with that girl, she smells so good, she looks fine, she says the things that we want to hear. Guy, g- gals, this guy that you, that you like, he's just the coolest thing in the world. You know, he's the, uh, he's the uh, defensive tackle on the football team, all-American, all-city, all-county, all-state. And he's just as lost as lost can be. But you're looking at this guy and saying, man, he is so fine. What's wrong with me influencing him? And at the same time, I get to be, I get to be with this guy that everybody is just dropping dead trying to date him, and he wants me. What's going to happen is, I'm sorry, Giovanni, I'm just using you because you play football. Uh, he's he's going to drag you down, girls. And you can end up having a life that is completely destroyed because you make bad decisions and you believe the stuff that he's telling you. And it can happen to you older people too. You older girls. Don't worry about it being old-fashioned. I call this the gravity of depravity when you are trying to have a relationship a romantic relationship, a relationship that maybe someday would lead to marriage with an unbeliever. It won't work. It's destructive. A dynamic relationship is one that's uh, we're loved by our Father. And God says in verse 18, He says, I'll be your father and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord God Almighty. And, and as we read through the verses in chapter 6 warning us about toxic relationships we see three great promises and the three promises the first is our father promises his indwelling presence and that's the Holy Spirit 1 Corinthians 6 19 through 20 don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God do you not belong to you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price so you must honor God with your body 1966, the God is Movement, God is Dead movement uh, was around and the Time magazine cover was this very thing, is God dead? And, and it is, it is uh, to the place where God is dead, he was dead, he's, he's, he's remaining dead. We've killed him and how shall we comfort ourselves? The murder of all murders. And, and, it's, and it, it goes on from there. The, a French uh, existentialist, Albert Camus, picked up on the to- picked the torch up in the 20th century, and today Richard Dawkins writes in, in his book uh, "The God Delusion," uh, the current no God is the current no God guru, and quite honestly, the these guys are the ones that are being deluded because they are looking beyond something that is truth, and that's Jesus Christ is real. First. Uh, uh, Colossians 1.27 says, For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles also. And this is the secret. 
Here's the secret. Are you ready for a secret? Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. The second promise is our, our Father promises his intimate fellowship. Amos 3.3 says, Can two people walk together without agreeing on the direction? How in the world, if you guys are together, if two people are together and they're going on a trip and, and you don't agree on how to get there, it's, it's not going to work. Humanity's relationship with God was broken at the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve sinned, they lost paradise. And since that time, we've all suffered the reality of sin in this world. Do you recall the, the hymn we sang it in the garden? You know, Matt, can you sing it a cappella? I come to the garden alone. A little help. While the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear calling on my ear, the Son of God discloses and He walks with me and He talks with me and He tells me I am His own. Ooh. Terry there, none other has ever known. We're walking in the garden, friends. We have that inner peace. We have the knowledge that, that, that God promises intimate fellowship in the garden. And the third thing is our Father promises His infinite care. First Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your worries and cares to God. Why? Because He cares about you. Matthew 10, 30 says, The very hairs on your head are numbered. Um, our hairs are numbered. A pastor asked little Tommy if he could count. He says, yeah. He says, well, what comes after one? He says, two. And he says, what comes after eight? He says, nine. And the pastor says, well, what comes after ten? And Tommy's getting annoyed, and he says, the jack. <laughs> so, let me wrap this up. The prom three promises of God should motivate us to avoid, want to avoid dangerous, radioact radioactive relationships. And you can approach this by emphasizing the negative, I'll keep away from the wrong kind of people, but a much better approach would be, I desire to have a dynamic relationship with my Father, God. And He is going to make that work. And as you desire to love God more and more, you'll, f you'll find the desire for the wrong kinds of relationships will naturally fall away. You aren't going to desire that guy that is so fine, that you think is so fine. You're going to wait until God brings that person into your life. And when you do that, it's going to make it a whole lot easier for you to live your life. It's easy to, to uh, give a dog a bone, but it's almost impossible to take that bone away from him. Our little dachshund, Bentley the Wonder Wiener Dog, will growl. He's got a stuffed, he's got a stuffed bone. And he growls and snarls and yowls and howls every time Sarita gets near him with that bone. I can take it away because he loves me. But you know, you take that, you take that, that try and take that bone away from a dog and you're going to have bad results. And the same way with our relationships. So if you're single and dating someone who's an unbeliever, and you may think it's pretty good, 
It's a bone, and God has promised you a stake. Drop the bone, wait for the stake. If you're thinking about entering into a business partnership with an unbeliever, it may look like a tasty bone, but God, your Heavenly Father, has a stake for you, a dynamic relationship with Him. And He's given you, a, 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 in, in closing, a, a yoke that's available to you. In Matthew 11, 29-30, He says, Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. It's impossible to wear two yokes, my friends. Let's pray. Father, thank you. As we, as we, as we close the message today, well, I, I do, I want to walk arm in arm with, with you in that, in that garden. I want to have that perfect peace that comes with knowing you intimately. Lord, I want to have those relationships that bring honor and glory to you and still I am able to, con con uh, to convey the gospel of grace to the unbelievers. Lord, give me that holy boldness. Father, if there's one here today that does not know you as Savior, may this be the day that they say, I too want to be able to come to the garden and have a relationship with you. And friends, if you're in that place, you can confess your sins. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and, and in the best way I know how, I ask you to save me from my sin. Lord, come into my life and be my Savior. And I believe when you died on the cross, you died in my place, that I could live with you forever in heaven. If you prayed that prayer, you are part of the family of God. If you're struggling with, with where you're at in terms of of toxic relationships this whole business of being that, that cracked pot God can use you but he can't use you if you're just wanting to be that pretty piece of pottery empty containing nothing just a decoration be willing to get cracked and dinged up where you can serve him by serving him you're going to reach others with that wonderful gospel of grace. I thank you for that. And, and friends, understand that this was written to you for you. And my prayer for you is that you will be courageous as you reach those who do not know Christ as Savior. Father, as we close, I pray that you would be with each of us. Help us, Lord, to, to understand the message that you gave us. Help us, Lord, to be bold and, and holy bold, uh, with, reach out with holy boldness as we speak of the truth of you. Lord, may we not be obnoxious, but be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. I ask this in your son's precious name. Amen. We're dismissed. <laughs>